0: Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, dedicated to making you a better seller. Recorded 4,827 miles across the Atlantic Ocean with Bobby Das from Houston, Texas, a father, husband, golfer, pilot, and tech seller. And Brian Evans, an expat in London, England, family man, 2X Ironman, and an ERP salesman. Both sharing tried and true sales strategies and providing free tools to make each week and campaign easier for you. They also answer your questions weekly. Now, here is Bobby and Brian.
1: Welcome to the Tech Sales Show. Today, Bobby and Brian interview Phil Wilhelm. Both Bobby and Brian worked with Phil as he became a tech seller. Prior to being a tech seller, Phil was a tax consultant and hated what he was doing. In the interview today, Phil talks about the change from tax consultant to tech seller and what he's doing today as the general manager of culture and development at SHI. He talks about a lot in this interview, from his dad to book recommendations and how you can get in touch with him. Please welcome Phil Wilhelm. Okay, so thanks everyone for joining. Today we've got a great guest. It's
2: Phil Wilhelm. Um, Phil, thanks for joining.
0: Yeah, you're you're very welcome. I, guys, I've been waiting for this for a long time. I always had a sneaking suspicion that the two of you would put together a platform like this, and I, I'm I'm really glad you did.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you very much um, for carving out the time. So, Phil, you've got a really unique background. You're a graduate of Jesuit. Uh, you got your degree uh, from UT in accounting and went from that right into the exciting world of tax at Arthur Anderson and on to finance past that. So, it's a It's a unique background for our industry. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the world of tech?
0: It's a really good question, and I think my story is probably like a lot of the, of your listeners' story stories in that our, our plan coming out of college or even high school just rarely ends up being the the thing that we you know do as our life's work and you know, quite honestly, I, I'm going to say a few things that make me sound like um, a bit lazy or a slacker even, but the whole, you know, business school and, and bachelor's and even a master's in, in tax from University of Texas, that all came about because I was too lazy to pick a major. And a good friend of mine, her name's Erin, she went to UT with me and she sort of badgered me um, our second year at UT to declare a major within the business school and pick something and I just I kept brushing it off, and she said, Phil, look, man, the, this you know, PPA program is top-notch. If I fill out the application for you, will you just review it, You know, make any revisions that you, you want to make, but then just sign your name to it? And I said, sure. And sure enough, I got in, and then I, I graduated and found myself sitting in Denver for Arthur Anderson at a desk in a very, very quiet office. Doing tax returns, and you know, Brian, the the fear was put into me when you know I tried to ask somebody a question or just you know get some even banter going around the office, and they just sort of politely referred me back to my desk and said, "Phil, just look at last year's tax return, then look at this year's information, and and just work your way through it." And that's when I kind of had a bit of fear that I probably made the wrong career choice, you know.
1: Sure. That doesn't sound it's, like something that Phil would really enjoy doing on a day-in, day-out basis, uh, no doubt.
0: Yeah, it, it kind of freaked me out. I remember feeling the, the day that I felt the most energized and motivated. I actually had to take a copy of a tax return to one of our clients in downtown Denver. And so the partner at the firm literally handed me the printouts and said, hey, Phil, here's the address. Can you just, you know, walk down four or five blocks and get some signatures from some of these guys on, on these returns. And just being out of the office, um, getting in front of other people, heck, man, just even making small talk with the receptionist at, at that office that I walked over to, I, I came back to the, the solemn, quiet office of, of Arthur Anderson and felt totally motivated and that that's when I, I sat down with my upline manager and said, I'm taking my show on the road. With all due respect, um, I'm out of here.
1: So how did you go from that to uh, a sales career where we met in Houston, Texas?
0: So whenever I moved back to Houston, I ended up working at a financial commodities hedge fund. We were trading interest rates and currencies, and uh, I'm not going to bore folks with those details, but um, it was a high-stress job, and it was a lot of spreadsheets. It was a lot of numbers, um, a lot of talking with with banks up in New York and and in London, and I finally just walked away. It was it was a bit too stressful, and I was at a party around Thanksgiving time, and one of my um, you know former peers, uh, current mentor, one of the uh, the guys that has had the really the, the most profound impact on my professional success. That's Ryan Ford. Um He you know said, "Phil, you seem a bit a uh, bit lost. Why don't you come over to, to my company and be a technology sales guy?" And I didn't know anything about it, um, but he uh, assured me that I could do it. And so I just took a leap of faith and uh, a pay cut and tried it out. And then Bobby, that's when I had the the great fortune of running into you and, and all the stuff that you were up to.
1: Yeah, I, I I still you know almost every day I still drive by Bison Building Materials and and think of our first meeting and your box of kolaches Ugh. at that place some ten ten years ago maybe even more than ten now, Phil.
0: You know, is it okay if I tell a quick story about that that opportunity that we worked on? So, my I have three kids and I was in the hospital with literally holding my my newborn daughter Mary Frances and. The, it was a BlackBerry at the time, not even the iPhone, but the BlackBerry started buzzing. And I had a proposal on the table for, for that business that you mentioned, uh, Bobby, to sell them a whole bunch of Microsoft licensing. It was going to be great solution for them, great you know solution for me and, and paycheck for me. And, Bobby, you were so helpful and integral in, in us even getting that sales cycle to that point. And thought we had it locked up. Sure enough, they just emailed me back to say, well, we're not going to give you a PO for this. Um and as a matter of fact, we're we're not going to move forward with anything with anybody. I think they were um in a tougher spot financially than what I was able to to profile and uncover. And oh man, that was a, a tough loss. But I stuck with it and um made it through my first year with a lot of your help, Bobby.
1: Yeah, those were great times. Uh, I still talked to everybody we worked with back in those days and Really, I think Brian and I are targeting all of us when we were that age, all the tech sellers that are out there that are in that either transition mode or in their first year, maybe they're in their inside sales career, starting up. Um, we're targeting all those people with this podcast so that they can hopefully learn from all of our mistakes and get better at what they're
0: doing. It's such a great idea, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to spend some time with y'all on this this podcast, because I I have gone through so many of the things that, you know, the other folks that you mentioned are are going through and made a ton of mistakes along the way. And also had a a lot of fun along the way. So if I can share a few stories to keep people motivated or share little tiny bits of insight, then I'm, I'm down to do that eight days a week.
2: Love it. So Phil, we've got a ton of questions because you've had a really interesting uh, career and upward progression at SHI I want to get into all of that, but first, tell us about your family. Tell us about um, tell us about the family and uh, your personal accomplishments. We'd love to hear more about you for the listeners.
0: So I, I have to talk about the pets in the family first. Yes. My daughter would get upset with me. So we have two corgi puppies. We're going to celebrate their second and first birthday. It's it's a big sister and her younger, I guess, half brother. And that's going to happen later this week, in excuse me, later this month in March of of 2018. So we have those two corgis that are wonderful, Jenny Weasley, and Action is the little boy's name. I always wanted a, a dog named Action, and now I have one. Love and it. then you throw in a a couple of leopard geckos um, and a cat, and it's it's a, a veritable barn over there at our house. But <laughs> over to the to the human side of everything, so I have an 11 year old daughter. A ten-year-old daughter and then a six-year-old son and and then my beautiful wife
2: very nice and i I can identify with the corgis as we were talking about it's um here in england uh the queen's got her uh, her group of corgis that are quite famous over here so it's a very uh it's a very british uh collection of dogs that you've got there phil
0: it is very British. It's, it's almost becoming cultish over here on this side of the pond. People that are into corgis are way into corgis. And I think I'm turning into one of those.
2: Very nice. So tell us, um, what's your proudest personal personal accomplishment, Phil?
0: Proudest personal accomplishment, um, is the time that I spent with my dad before he passed away back in 2008. And it took me a while you know, after his death, to be able to, to talk about this openly or, you know, without getting getting too sad, quite honestly, but um, he had Alzheimer's, and we had a bit of a, a tough relationship whenever I was growing up. He was a bricklayer, you know, he, he was from uh, from Germany, and he was a little different than than my friends, uh, you know, parents, my friends' dads, and it was a bit of a tough relationship, but later in, in life, we were able to spend... A lot of time together, and in the, the way that um, I was able to, to work on that relationship and build that relationship, I, I still consider that to be one of the absolute highlights of, of my personal life.
2: That's fantastic. Yeah, no doubt it's contributed to your work ethic. So that's fantastic.
0: Last last comment about uh, the great Hans Wilhelm, my father. So he was a bricklayer, and he was a sun up till sun down. Work ethic guy, you know, six days a week, never worked on Sundays. Just a very, you know, traditional, um, you know, German work ethic, and that that was totally instilled in me and, and my brother and all three of my sisters. And it's, it's something that I'm really proud of, and something that I, I love speaking to the the younger sales professionals at SHI about.
2: Yeah, I, you know I wonder, I a number of us have those types of stories and dads. My, my dad uh, started off at 18 years old, jumping people's fences to cut off their power. If they didn't pay their electricity bill um, to 40 years later, running a major corporation. And it's, I I mean, just growing up with that kind of work ethic changes you. I think it's a, it's an interesting, interesting background. So thanks for sharing that. That's great stuff.
1: So Phil, the, when we were prepping for this and doing the background and knowing where we all grew up kind of in IT sales, we were wondering, you got this big role now at SHI, do you you consider yourself a sales guy still?
0: I am a sales guy. I think I'm always going to be a sales guy either at heart or in title. And the selling is just a little bit different. Now my, my customers are you know, potential employees of of SHI. Now that I'm responsible for the recruiting and the hiring effort, uh, but as I've gotten older, the hair is almost all gray at this point, for better or worse. Just working in a cross-functional manner with other other teams in our company, and then also working cross-functionally with our partners. That is, without question, a sales motion. It, it's it's one that requires. The ability to profile a situation, what's important to other people, what their challenges are, um, and, and to you know have the ability to build a relationship and meet with them regularly, partner with them, um, it's it is definitely a, a sales mentality that I bring to this job.
2: And so, Phil, you've been in a, a number of kind of entrepreneurial roles at SHI. Um, from training to building teams, managing sales teams, um, being in charge of people. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing today and your progression through the company?
0: Recruiting and hiring, and then the onboarding experience for, for all of our folks. And then the sales enablement that we provide to um, almost, what, 1,300 folks now, just within our division of, of SHI. And then it is more broadly speaking the culture and yeah. I did a, a LinkedIn video on the topic of culture a few weeks ago, and I define culture and a corporate culture more specifically as the summation of all the voluntary interactions between people at a, at a company and I have a, a communication team internal communication team that that works uh, for me and um, we do everything from the social events to the weekly communications, town halls. It's That's another big learning I've had over the last few years. Once an organization gets beyond 1,000 folks, there is a tipping point in terms of how the, the people interact with each other, the social, you know, corporate hierarchy, how you give recognition, what's important to people. Uh, it was... You know, from something I read is in one of the Malcolm Gladwell books where he, he talked about um, tipping points between 1,000 folks in a society, and then I think it was eight to 10,000 folks in a society. That's another tipping point in terms of culture and how people interact with each other and, and spend time with each other. And um, so we've had to make some adjustments to the way we do all of those things now that we've we've gotten so big. So recruiting, hiring, onboarding, enablement, and culture. And one last thing, I definitely want to talk about. We can do it now, or just you know later in, in the discussion. But our Top Gun program is one of my one of my biggest accomplishments professionally. Um, I still run that that program um, firsthand, and that has been a game changer. It's been a life changer even for a lot of the folks that um, have spent a year with us in that program at SHR.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's let's get into that a little bit too, because I, I think. I don't think people fully appreciate what the the corporate division at SHI. And please, please correct me if I'm if, I, if I'm not explaining it right. But this organization effectively came from zero to thirteen to thirteen hundred. Can you talk about kind of the the history of this division uh, that you guys have built effectively from scratch, and then uh, how Top Gun fits into
0: that? Yeah, the organization was started in uh, our division of SHI was started in two thousand and eight. Um, when our our leader Hal, he saw that there was an opportunity in the mid market from a, a reseller perspective, and worked with our um, you know CEO and, and president and still owner Ty Lee to put together a mid market group within the company. And um, I think the end of the first year it was you know maybe nine to ten million in revenue, and you know now we're we're tracking closer to I think three point. Two billion is is what our division of SHI will will probably do in calendar 2018. And whenever I I moved my family to Austin in um, December 2009, took a big pay cut again in, in another leap of faith professionally to you know join this division of SHI as the trainer for the the sales folks. I'd never done it before, but somehow. I put together a PowerPoint deck that was somewhat convincing and I drove up uh, from Houston to Austin and made my pitch and my boss he he bought it and the the rest is uh the rest is history I suppose but um at the end of that first year uh, my boss and I were talking about putting together some program for advanced Um, enablement um, for the the folks that were either high potential or they were already very accomplished in their own right. And so we came up with this this program called Top Gun, and it's an annual program uh, that brings together approximately 30 of the the top performers um, that we have in our division of SHI. And we spend a year together doing and doing a lot of different things, but it's a program that's really based on understanding and service. And so the, the folks uh, do various workshops uh, with me, have different conversations with each other uh, and with, you know, third parties that we bring in to get a very, very strong sense of self and, and then to get a, a, a strong sense of who um, everyone else in the group is. And that has always created a, a very um, positive, engaging, fun environment for the group to then start, you know, building on onto that foundation uh, some advanced sales um, techniques, uh, advanced technology topics, um, adventure races here in Austin, um, wine tastings we've brought in, um, Hindu astrologers to work with us, all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's been just such a joy professionally for me to to hang out with with that program um, for, what, seven, eight years now.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. And what a great um, contribution I'm sure that makes to the culture as well that you talked about at the kickoff. Um, so Phil, you've been a top achiever. You've worked with other top achievers for many years now. Um, other than just putting in a lot of hours and hard work, what do you think it is about your approach and other top performers that you work with that makes you different, that helps you to perform well?
0: So the, the two, the two ways that I answer that question are number one, I am, I am, fanatical about people knowing who they are and, and having that strong sense of self that's number one and the number two more from a, a management and, and leadership perspective my approach is predicated on do more of that and I'll, I'll explain that aspect in, in just a minute but I'm just such a, a, a believer that um, when you and this is, I mean this is from the um, the the Buddhist, you know, school of thought, but when you know thyself, you know everything. Or said a little different, when you try to know everything, you know nothing. And, I mean, even in, in my job now or for some of our top performing sales reps, when their their book of business is so large and so complex and they have to work with so many different people and different technologies, it's it's almost impossible to be completely informed on every detail of what's going on. But what people can do is have a very strong sense of self so that they know what what values they need to, to rely on, um, what aspects of their personality, of, of their talents they just need to keep leaning into. And, and through those things that are unique to everyone, that's, that's ultimately what's going to bring the, the most value. So, um, I, I've spent a lot of time, but but more importantly, I've spent a lot of time working with others within our organization to help them truly know who they are as a, as a person and as a professional. And, um, and then on the the management leadership side, I, I've always worked with the sales managers, the sales directors to be very keen observers of all of their folks to, to get clarity, to, to be very specific on the situations where their folks excel and then just keep uh, finding opportunities to put their sales reps in more and more and more positions to do more of that. So it's just identifying, you know, talent and and just wash, rinse, repeat, if, if that makes sense.
1: It does. Yeah. Um, and to that point, it kind of goes into the next part of that question that we have is, we say it often in our podcast that average is the enemy, right? The average rep is not who any of us really want to be. They're not the ones who cash big checks and we're trying to make everybody way above average. What is it that you think is the difference between a perennial achiever, the guy or girl that does it year after year after year versus the one hit or the two hit wonders that, that close a couple big deals and then they never kind of get back and they change change jobs four or five times over six years?
0: Well, I think attitude and effort have a lot to do with it. Uh, the the top performers just have have a way of maintaining a positive attitude and a strong a strong work ethic. Um and, and it's hard to have both of those, you know, going simultaneously, but the top performers have that ability. But maybe said slightly different the the top performers have this ability to detach just the right amount, to, to abstract themselves emotionally just to the right level from a sales situation um, so that they can remain resourceful when, when um, for other reps, when anxiety would get high or when the customer starts talking about money, they're trying to beat, beat them up in a negotiation or whatever the situation might be, when a top performer displays that ability to stay cool in the pocket or, or to just realize that when somebody's, you know, maybe coming at them uh, around price or around a competitor or whatever it is, that it, it is just business and that it's okay if, if they lose some, some opportunities, if they lose some deals, uh, because they are in it for the long haul. Like, that is the the thing that I've seen over the years, all of the perennial all-stars display Because anybody can get anybody can get lucky. Anybody can have attitude and and effort for 12 months, even 36 months, until they get they take down a deal that can put you know 50, 60, even 100 grand in their pocket. But I don't think anybody that's listening to this podcast is just trying to make 100 grand. They're they're trying to make a million bucks, which attitude and effort will give you a million bucks and, and give you life changing money for sure. No doubt, no doubt.
1: Okay, one more for me. What what is the best professional? or sales advice that you've ever been given? And if you can, share who gave it to you?
0: Man, I love this question. Uh, Ironically, because I I don't think I have a great answer for it, but I thought about this a lot over the last few days. And uh, right now, what I would say is pattern interrupt. So we work with Sandler Training uh, a lot here at SHI. And we've worked with some amazing folks from that organization over the years, Carl Scheibel, um, Adam Boyd, uh, just to to name a few. Adam's gone on to now be a a chief revenue officer um, at a a benefits company here in Austin. But it's a technique that Sandler Training um, teaches. And Pattern Interrupt is all about sounding different than most salespeople. It's a bit of the unexpected So if a normal salesperson would say X, Y, and Z, well, through pattern interrupt, right, you would want to say A, B, and C. Um, So I won't go through like a full example of it. People that are listening can um, easily look up what pattern interrupt from Sandler training means, but that has been so helpful to me, um, in part because I do have a different personality. And you know, I learned, Bobby, just from running around Houston with you at my former company, um, you had a way of encouraging me to just be Phil and, and just be myself, And because I do have a slightly different personality than most sales folks. I think I was um, somewhat uh, naturally doing a what Sandler training would call pattern interrupt, and I just didn't have a name for it. Um, but you know, just talking about different uh, Topics that that aren't, you know, totally obvious to a customer, or trying to connect two topics in conversation that are seemingly unrelated, or just being okay to 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 make a joke, um, you know, that, that's related to to the task at hand or not related to the task at hand. Anything that you can do to change up the the vibe and the tone of the conversation um, has always served me well professionally.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that. It, it's quite often because. I'm a, I'm a, I can be clowning around or I can attempt to be funny at times. And I still have people in my professional career say, I cannot believe you would say that or joke about that with that customer. And I try to remind them that they're human too. They, they're probably so tired of dealing with the stiff person that's always trying to get money out of their pocket. And they really do appreciate a little bit of candor and a little bit of human side to a dialogue or a conversation. Uh, customers are human as well.
0: Agreed. And one of the guys in, in our Top Gun program, um, named Garrett Meyer from the 2015 class, he had an amazing quote, and he's a big believer in uh, in this. When he says, "The shortest distance between two people is laughter," and it, it's not just um, acceptable, but in my view, it's encouraged to to be okay laughing with with folks that you're you're trying to sell to because they do want something different
2: yeah we'll we'll definitely include um this topic in the show notes phil so I, yeah thanks for bringing this up this is uh yeah good stuff so changing gears a little bit so, Phil, you've got um, a very large sales organization there at SHI in the corporate division. What's in a large group of tech sellers? What's your biggest worry or concern when it comes to that uh, large and growing group of tech sellers?
0: Culture, by far. You know, with you know the the process of adding more folks to the organization every month. Um, a lot of times, they're you know first job out of college. You know, young sales professionals and the, the mixture of new folks with you know tenured very successful folks and just you know the amount of people that we have all trying to you know professionally live under the, the same roof here um, it, it presents some interesting culture challenges and technology here's an example and technology is moving so fast 10 years ago i think AWS, Amazon Web Services, was a minor blip on the on the radar. And now it's, what, an $18, $19 billion business for, uh, for our friend Jeff over there at Amazon? And it's increased changes, increasing at an increasing rate. So whenever we have all of these sales professionals trying to work together, collaborate with each other, and then being the guy that's responsible for enablement and communication, it's finding that right balance of, Staying in front of them, the mind share, the ways that we um, enable them, how we can basically give them a platform to help each other get better—it um, all just comes back to culture. And, and so, how can I work with the leadership to set a tone of positivity and um, an encouragement? How do we set the the right culture of learning up at, at this organization? All of those things are, are something I spend a lot of my time on now.
2: Very nice. So so speaking of how you spend your time, let's let's get a little tactical maybe. What Tell us a little bit about how, how do you organize and structure your day? What's your morning morning routine look like? How do you how do you think through and plan um, your goals?
0: So my morning routine, I, I made a couple of changes about six months ago, and it starts at five ten am. With a little bit of meditation and some prayer and Cheerios with bananas cut up. Uh That is just a non negotiable for me. So, you know, with that many folks and animals living at at my house, that's my time for quiet. And I always start it that way. And then uh, before you know it, it's, you know, the kids are awake and and the pace gets pretty quick, pretty fast. But whenever I, I come into the office, um, I intentionally walk around uh, as much as I can, um, literally shake some hands and just start talking with people, trying to get my my finger on the pulse of of how they're doing, how they're feeling. And then it's, you know like most folks in a, a sales leadership role, for better or worse, it's it is a, a series of meetings. Um, as As I've progressed in my career, I try to bring uh, more folks that um, ultimately report up to me. I, I try to bring as many of them into my meetings, uh, cross-functional meetings as possible so that we can just capture action items in real time and and start setting up the, the next thing that we have to do rather than me leave that meeting with some senior folks and then huddle up with my team and play the game of corporate telephone. I, I try to cut down on that as as much as I can. But the one thing I still don't have a good answer for is just calendaring Man, it is somewhat the, the bane of my existence when we're trying to work with so many different people just seeing where we have availability to to get together and talk even for a 15 minute increment can be challenging
1: no doubt I think we're all struggling with that and the one thing we all know we're not going to get more of is time and uh, that's why we try to focus on the most important things I, I gotta say I'm, I'm I ha- I want to tell a personal story quickly if I can, and that's about three years ago when I uh, actually joined Dell EMC. At the time it was EMC. I took some time off from work and had everything really in life: money, house, family, boy, girl, great wife. She had just been diagnosed with cancer and was cancer-free at that point. But I was struggling with my own happiness. It was crazy, and I, we we've actually reviewed a book called "10% Happier," where. Dan Harris finds meditation and I found meditation about three years ago as well. The first interview we did with Nadine Cherry meditation was a big part of her routine. I don't want to like tell everybody that if you want to be a great sales rep, you need to meditate, but it is very interesting that this has become such a big deal for those of us who minds probably don't stop to slow down and let those minds clear a little bit. You don't have to go into a lot of detail, Phil, but I am very intrigued by this. What does that meditation for you look like in practice so if there's somebody out there who hasn't tried it or done it, how can they get started to see if it's not gonna help them as well?
0: So getting started is can be tough. If you've never done it before, the thought of sitting quietly in a chair can freak some people out. And you know, there's a lot of images and movies and in the media of you know, people with legs crossed and and they they might start levitating a little bit like David Blaine or whatever. And, but you don't have to wear any, any weird clothes. You don't have to make any weird faces. You don't have to make any weird noises. You can get started by just sitting down um, in a comfortable chair and just even keep your eyes open to, to start and just be aware of your breath and just try that for two minutes.
1: Yep, that's exactly and, what I did early on. I, I did some similar things. I actually had to keep my eyes open because I would fall asleep in a lot of those instances. <laughs> but the uh, there were a couple apps I used. I think Calm's a good one that probably everyone's seen in their Facebook wall if they're a Facebook user. But uh, I highly recommend giving it a shot. It, it I think what Dan Harris talks about in the book 10% Happier is it really has changed my mindset in a lot of ways because I don't sweat the small stuff. And it's weird to say meditation's done some of that for me, but it's just... It, the, the non-important things aren't that important. So we'll move on from that, but I appreciate you sharing that. It's uh, pretty interesting that the first two people we interviewed have a morning ritual that includes meditation.
0: And if I could, I'd like to just add on one more comment to that, and it's about breathing. So the the reps that I, I get to work with here at SHI, if it's an inside rep and they're going to get on the phones and either have an important meeting or if it's a brand new rep and they are just trying to reach out to different prospective clients and build their book of business, anxiety can start to, to rise. The nerves can can you know get, creep in on you. And I always encourage folks to just do a couple of breathe in for four, hold, and breathe out for four. And they have to get some breath going. They have to get some oxygen going. I mean, oxygen, it is liter- on it, obviously, literally our life force. And uh, somebody that is very near and dear to, to my heart, Melissa Wilhelm, my, my sister-in-law, always says that fear is excitement without breath. Physiologically, fear and excitement are so closely related within your body, and breath is the only thing that's separating them. So anytime we're, uh, I'm working with somebody and they're feeling nervous, they're feeling anxious, take a few breaths and lean into that and turn that negative feeling into an excited feeling.
2: Yeah. Very nice. So, so Phil, um, aside from chasing the kiddos, uh, the meditation in the morning, what, what kind of hobbies do you participate on that, uh, have helped define your work ethic and your goals from a professional standpoint?
0: Well, I don't get to do it as much anymore, but I will get back out there this summer and, and see some more concerts. Uh, I've run my total of widespread panic concerts up to 304. That's unbelievable. And, and now I'm leaning into to fish a little bit more than I did about 10 years ago, as they're still going strong. But And look, people might hear that and think, what in the heck is going on with this guy? But think about people that hunt or people that fish or snowshoe, whatever it is, we spend obscene amounts of money, relatively speaking, on our hobbies. And just seeing music has always been one of mine. Um, But I I do think that that has helped me um, professionally. Well, number one, I I tend not to wear shoes at at the office and um, don't wear them at, at concerts either. But you know, people get really into their hobbies and they become obsessed with the details. So whether it's a wine psalm, like a level two wine wine psalm and and they can just um, you know smell uh, the differences in in a, a bottle of wine, or for me, um, just being able to you know tell if if the music I'm listening to is from two thousand and six or from nineteen ninety seven for you know for one of my bands that I'm into it has shown me that professionally it can pay off to be as equally obsessed with details that other people aren't obsessing over.
2: Yeah. Well, you'll be happy to know that my, my running song list right now is very heavy widespread right now. I've got uh, a heavy rotation of that. It's very, talk about kind of calming music. That's uh, that's great stuff.
0: I, th- I love that. One of my, my LinkedIn videos, um, I got a comment on it with, I have a license plate from a little stint that I did in Idaho and it says gilded on it. And it was in the background and some guy I've never met, he you know posted a comment and said, man, if you get bonus points, if, if that license plate is in reference to this song called gilded splinters. And I said, yes, indeed, my man, it, it is for sure. Fantastic. We all have our things, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You brought up your videos earlier and I, I got to say, I loved the video on culture short, sweet, to the point, and, and got the message across. But I also like that you're wearing an Astros jersey uh, as I am getting excited about the season starting and still reliving the World Series games that I was able to attend uh, last year. It's it's an exciting time here in Houston to see this baseball team come together.
0: And so another point around hobbies and, and just if they do relate um, to my work professionally. So, I mean, the amount of time that I spend on the Astros, it, I guess it does qualify as a hobby. And I, I have, over the last couple of years, I've gotten more into reading about coaches and just the topic of coaching. And, you know, going I went down to spring training a couple of weeks ago, and I found myself watching and observing the Astros coaches and how they, in turn, were observing their players. And just, in, in short, coaching is all about observation. And, you know, a lot of managers will try to just take over a conversation with one of their reps and just explain how it was back in the old days and how tough they had it and how amazing they were. But what we find at SHI, the, the managers and sales directors that are you know, changing people's careers and changing people's lives, they are the ones that have the confidence to just slow down and observe very keenly and get into the details with their reps and, and work with them appropriately.
1: Totally agree. Totally agree. So one thing that Brian and I talked about on a couple of our podcast episodes really is work life balance and we're trying to ask each person that we interview a couple of questions or, or a thought process. You know, as busy as you are, as full as your calendar is, how do you manage the work life balance of it all? How do you get to do those fun things that you want to do?
0: Well, some of it started with making the decision to get my my eleven year old a phone. So, you know, if people listening think I'm a, a bad father for getting my 11-year-old on the phone, I, you know, I get it. it. It was a hard decision to make, but um, that has just enabled me to keep in more close contact with her uh, and her, her younger sisters. They're always running around together. Um, and so that, that has helped. Um, but also just, you know, talking with my team at work about my non-negotiables, is, uh, that has been a game changer. You know, and it started with me talking to my boss and, and having honest conversations with him about, you know, now that I've gotten older, how I, I need, not how I want to spend my time, but how I need to spend some of my time. Man, he is so good to work for and, and work with and has always been so accommodating of of what I need to do in my personal life. I think what people will find, if they take the initiative to really have an honest conversation with whoever their upline, you know, reporting manager is, that oftentimes our our managers are even more accommodating than than we would be with ourselves. And so many people that all of us out there that are listening to this, that so many people that we work with um, care so much more about us than, than we sometimes think that they do. So um, I just encourage everybody when you're trying to find those right uh, the right balance of work life just be as honest and as vulnerable as you can with the people you work with and and they'll they'll cover for you if there's something super important you need to do late later today actually in about an hour and a half I need to go have a a sit down with my daughter's PE coach apparently the participation grades are a little out of whack according to my 11-year-old and so I, yeah I've I've canceled uh, a couple of meetings to you know, drive across town and, and go do that. But people know that's a non-negotiable for me as a dad.
2: Yeah, I love it. Uh, so, Phil, you've made a lot of, um, you, you've kind of alluded to a lot of books um, and a lot of things you've talked about are themes from books. What what books do you recommend people read if 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 they're not avid readers or if they are avid readers? What What do you recommend?
0: Okay, love the question. In part because I just got through reading the Phoenix Project with our Top Gun class. If you're listening to this and, and you want to be more successful in tech sales, you have to read the Phoenix Project. Man, it was it was well written. Um, it was sort of a, I don't know, kind of kept you on the the edge of your seat, which is weird because it's basically just a story of a guy, the main character, gets promoted to be uh, the vice president of IT operations for a fictitious company. And it, it's essentially a, a explanation of DevOps and how the development world needs to work more closely with the IT and, and IT infrastructure uh, folks at an organization. But man, that is that was so helpful. It's a great That's book. Number it's, one.
1: it's required it was required reading when I first started at EMC two and a half, three years ago. And it really is it's almost like the raving fans of the current day devops world,
0: and you know for folks that that want to um, work on on their empathy their empathy muscles you know which we all have, but we just have to work them out um so that we know how to use them man this is it just gives a great um behind the scenes at what um, a lot of our our customers are going through on a daily basis so yeah that's that's my book recommendation number one, and my book recommendation number two is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Um, I don't know if either if Brian or, or Bobby no, have read no The War of Art. No, I haven't. I have not. It's, um, it's pretty darn eloquent, and it's an easy read. It's relatively short, but it gives a lot of insight on the, the, what the author calls resistance. And the need for people to just simply sit the heck down and start working. So they talk about resistance a lot. And then he goes through what I, I find to be a very helpful and eloquent and artistic description of the difference between an amateur and a professional. An amateur is doing it for the money. An amateur is doing it based on what um, he or she thinks they're, they're fans you know, out there would, would say about them. He gives a lot of other examples. The, on the other hand, the professional, the pro, they do their craft simply because they realize that is what they are on this earth to do. They don't give a lot of thought to the critics. They don't give a lot of thought actually to their fans. And, um, and they don't give a lot of thought to the money. Um, but they, they just they show up on their playing field of choice, whether it's art, law, sales, religion, whatever it is, they just consistently show up every morning. They put on their their you know hard hat, as it were, and they just get to work because that's what they're on this earth to do. So it's a great book.
1: Appreciate those recommendations. Well, Phil, it's actually been way too long since we really talked, but uh, we're running out of our allotted time, so we'll maybe have to connect and do a part two with you in the future as well. We would love to do that. Until then, what about... How can people find more about you or SHI? Maybe they want to start their tech sales career with SHI. Where can people find you on the web or find SHI on the web to learn more about what uh, the company's doing and potentially looking for a job?
0: All right, well to to find us on the web, the best way is to go over to LinkedIn and you can search for SHI Corp, that's C O R P for our corporate division, SHI Corp Recruiting is the search, or you can just look for me on LinkedIn, Philip Wilhelm. I go by Phil and uh, we can continue the conversation.
2: Excellent. Thanks so much, Phil. So I guess last question for you. We've done the tech show. Now we've done a few series. Uh, career development is upcoming. We've done a series on meeting preparation, territory planning, and we've done a number of listeners choice episodes as well. What kind of feedback do you have for us? What kind of things should we be focusing on to help sellers be better?
0: Well, I saw the, the new tool that you guys put out there. I think it was just within the last couple of days about the, the meeting prep tool and typing in the company name and, and even the contact name that you're meeting with and, and how it you know aggregates some, some prep information you know before yep. you go into the meeting. I think that is tremendous. Um, anything that y'all can do to continue talking about tools that people um, should use to just gain a better understanding of of their customers, I think that would be really helpful. And I, i'm just I'm so appreciative of y'all spending your time investing your time in this platform um, to to bring more experienced, you know, in some cases, older folks like myself, um so that your your younger audience can hear some of the mistakes that I've made. Um, you know, how people like me, how we spend our time, what's important to us. uh, I think that's a big help for a lot of people out there. And y'all have, you know, full-time day jobs doing other stuff. And just the fact that y'all are looking to give back to a a whole bunch of people that you don't even really know that well yet. That just says so much about y'all's character. So thank y'all for for helping um, redefine what it means to be a salesperson in um, 2018.
1: With that, Phil, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your partnership and uh, all things we've been able to accomplish together through tech sales. We look forward to part two of this. And with that, don't forget average is the enemy.
2: Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it, buddy.
1: Thanks. Thanks guys.
0: Thanks for listening to the tech sales show with Bobby and Brian. Subscribe to their email list by going to Bobby and follow them on Twitter at Bobby Brian Sales.